Please join me in reading uh, the scripture, which comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 12 through 20. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Chi. So we have been in about a 15, 16 week series here on the Sermon on the Mount. And it's, as we've said, Jesus is most well known his most famous sermon. And in this sermon, Jesus has been painting a picture for us of what it looks like to flourish. What does it look like to have a flourishing life? And also, what does it look like for us to be people who bring flourishing to others? And throughout this sermon, we've been seeing that blessing the blessing that Jesus describes, it's found in the most unexpected places. And impact, the impact that we have on other people is, according to Jesus, made in what to us is upside down, upside down ways that it's out of our weakness. It's not out of our resources or our self-sufficiency, but it's out of our brokenness that we bless others. So we've seen throughout this sermon, Jesus has addressed these very practical, real-life issues, we've looked at how Jesus addressed anger, sexuality, marriage, conflict, money, spirituality, anxiety, judgmentalism, all these very real things that impact us, really our everyday lives. And so here we come now to our final two messages in this series. And this week, as I was reading this passage as I was seeing what's left here in, in the Sermon on the Mount, I was thinking personally for my own self, and I was thinking for us as a church, like how would we know, having listened to the greatest sermon ever given on this planet, how would we know that we have heard it well? How would we know that we have faithfully listened and gotten out of it what we needed to hear? And I just kept thinking through this week that it would be a tragedy to have gone through this entire sermon and for it not to have changed us at all. So as we get to the end of the sermon, what Jesus does, the way I see what Jesus is doing is he gives us a chance to pause and to reflect on what he said and to consider our response to everything that he said in this sermon. 
So if, if you're new to Trinity, if you're new to Christianity or to Jesus and you're still exploring and asking questions, this is actually a good uh, message for you to jump on in because Jesus is going to give us a summary of his entire sermon. And he's also going to give us some key takeaways from his sermon. One thing that I've learned in, in preaching or public speaking, it's, that it's very helpful to give your audience signals of where you're at, where you're going, and where, you, where you're landing, and when you're going to be landing the plane. So when you get to your final point, sometimes it's helpful to say, finally, or for my final point, or for my last point, and one of two things happen when you say that. One, people start thinking, what's for lunch? I need to start, you know, I'm hungry. Or what you hope would happen is people are leaning in and going, okay, let me focus, let me pay attention, let me make sure I get out of this, uh, what is being shared. So in verse 12, Jesus begins his wrap-up, and he wants us to lean in. He wants us to listen, and he begins this wrap-up by describing what we've heard already in the service, this golden rule life. And I want to look at this golden rule life in three ways. It's a summary that Jesus gives us to live by. It's a map for directions, and it's also a test for discernment. So first, it's a summary to live by. In verse 12, Jesus does this pause, and he summarizes everything he said up to this point to prepare us for his conclusion and the key takeaways that he wants us uh, to get out of his sermon. And he says, we've already heard it read a few times, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And we know this is a summary statement for at least two major reasons. First, the first word in this, uh, in the original language is actually the word Panta, it means all things, everything. So Jesus is saying, here's everything, all things. Here's what you need to do that can apply to all of life. And also there, in some translations, the word is therefore. Some translations, the word is so. So Jesus is saying, so, therefore. In other words, I'm wrapping up. Here's my final point and summary. Jesus is also making a connection back to chapter 5, Verse 17, which is the thesis statement of his entire sermon. Matthew 5, 17, he said, Do not think I came to abolish the law and the prophets. There's a connection. I didn't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The law and the prophets is just the whole Bible at Jesus' time, the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures. He says, I've come to bring to completion, to fulfillment, everything that God has shown about himself in his word All his purposes for humanity, I've come to bring those to fulfillment in your life. And then here it is, boiled down to one simple sentence for us, which this sentence has become known as the golden rule. And in all the complexities of life, life life is very complicated, life can be very chaotic. Sometimes it's helpful to have a simple summary to fall back on. And Jesus says, here it is. I've given it to you. It's the golden rule. Now, what's interesting about this, and many of you may know about this, but this summary is not completely original to Jesus and to Christianity. It was actually somewhat familiar, probably, to Jesus' audience, and it actually spans across religious traditions. 
and the teachings of key religious leaders, Confucius, Buddha, uh, Hillel, who was a major uh, rabbi in Jesus' time. They all had formulations of the golden rule. But what is interesting and what I was just fascinated by and thinking about all week is that for each of these other religious figures, they formulated the golden rule in the negative. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Hillel, a Jewish rabbi, said, what is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. Very similar, but different. Buddha said, hurt not others with that which pains yourself. Now, some scholars would caution against making too much of the difference in formulation, negative versus positive. But after sitting with this all week, I think there is something important to the way that Jesus frames this in the positive, that that's his unique formulation. The way that I would summarize it, it's, it's so familiar to us that I wanted to give my own paraphrase of what Jesus is saying here, so I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. What is the golden rule? In the context of the Sermon on the Mount, I think Jesus is saying, in order to flourish and to bring flourishing to others, we must become people of proactive and incarnational love. Let me explain this. First, it's a proactive love. A part of our... Um, our tradition in the Presbyterian Church, we have our, our confessions, uh, the Westminster Confession, our summary of what the Bible teaches, kind of our guide to some practical application of the Bible, recognizes when it comes to our sin, the ways that we fail, the ways that we fall short, that we should think in two categories. And it's the traditional language for this is sins of omission and sins of commission. Sins, of omit, sins that we commit and the things that we should have done that we didn't do. In other words, um, from a famous prayer that many of us have prayed before, the confession would look like this. We have left undone those things we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. That that covers the full range of our responsibility to love God and love neighbor. Sometimes we do what we shouldn't, sometimes we don't do what we should. I want to share an example of this. Recently, in our, in our culture and in our country, issues of race have come to the forefront. It's a very difficult topic, but a very important topic, a, a topic that's central to the story of Scripture from beginning to end. If we use just the negative formulation of the golden rule when it comes to issues of race, we can say this, as long as I'm not actively saying or doing anything racially harmful or hateful, then I'm okay. I've obeyed that formulation of the golden rule, the negative formulation. But here's where Jesus' formulation challenges us and is different because it forces us to ask beyond what I'm avoiding doing to this. When people are being mistreated because of their race, how can I proactively demonstrate the love of God and the reconciling truth of the gospel to them? And how can the church be proactive when people are marginalized or victims of injustice or oppression or exclusion because of race or ethnicity? That's the difference between proactive love and passively not harming other people. In our own denomination, um, 
maybe this was a little bit overdue, but in 2016, at our General Assembly in Mobile, Alabama, there was a resolution made of repentance over sins of racism with an acknowledgement for sins of omission. And I felt like I wanted to share that because it's an important, I think, application and recognition of what Jesus is saying to us here. And it says this, be it further resolved, this is just a snippet from that resolution, that this General Assembly does recognize, confess, and condemn and repent of past failures to love brothers and sisters from minority cultures in accordance with what the gospel requires, as well as failures to lovingly confront our brothers and sisters concerning racial sins and personal bigotry and failing to learn to do good, seek justice, and correct oppression. Isaiah 1.17. So what's unique about what Jesus is saying here is that in order to become people who flourish, especially to become people who bring flourishing to others, it's not about being passive and not harming. It's about being proactive with love. It's also incarnational. What do I mean by that? To love incarnationally is to imagine ourselves in the shoes of other people, to imagine ourselves in their story. We tend to use our imagination in a very different way, often. We like to imagine this. Say I am the very center of the universe, and all things existed for me, the way that I wanted things to go, and all the people around me were here to serve my needs. What a wonderful world that would be. And we tend to play out that world and expect other people um, to live in that world with us. Jesus says a summary of the whole Bible is, call, is calling us to flip the script on that imagination, to use our imagination in a completely different way. Whatever it is we want done to us, Jesus says, do that for others. So this other-centered life requires this incarnational imagination, the ability to enter somebody else's world, their story, their experiences, their emotional life. So in our hardest challenges in our relationships, whatever those might be for you now, whether they're at work or at home or in other places in your life, Jesus says, I want you to pull out this summary and use it before you respond, before you react, to figure out what can you do when you're wronged or when you're having a difficult time in a relationship. Use the summary. Enter into their world and ask the question, if I was in their shoes, what would I want? What would I need? What would most move me towards God and flourishing as he describes it? So that's the first point. Jesus' summary to live by. Second, the golden rule is also a map for directions. After verse 12, giving us a summary statement for his sermon, then Jesus moves to two final commands, either the final two commands in the Sermon on the Mount. One is in verse 13, he says, enter the narrow gate. And then again in verse 15, he says, be on your guard against false prophets. So first he says, first takeaway, enter the narrow gate. Jesus is giving us a map. He's giving us a map for finding and staying on his path for the flourishing life. For most of human history, if you wanted people to arrive at a destination, 
Then you have to provide them with directions. Now we have, I know, our phones and GPS and many ways to find our way around. But if you're ever outside of cell coverage, you are completely reliant on the directions that have been given to you. We experienced this this summer. We took a trip down to Ensenada, Mexico. And I had my uh, phone all set up to, to change over to Mexican coverage and all that, but I wasn't exactly sure how all that worked. It had been a long time since I'd driven in Mexico. And so we were given directions, very long and detailed directions, to get to where we needed to go. But what I remembered, we were caravanning with another family, but what I remembered is that when you cross the border into Tijuana, some of you have done this, uh, if you haven't done it, it's like all of a sudden it's go time. There's three signs or more signs right there, right when you cross, and you're like, wait, what, what am I, what, what? And you're just like, you have to do something. You have to make your decision. And in our directions, it said, take the first right. So I wasn't in the lead in this particular caravan, but our other driver was, and they just blew right by that first right. And all of a sudden, we're off, we're off our directions. And I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> we're never going to find our way back to that road. So we had walkie-talkies. And then at that point, my wife has great confidence in me because she was like, Eric's taking the lead. And so I'm like, OK, I'm taking the lead. I was like, let me get in there. And you know, you're trying to get through all this craziness, no idea what's going on, and trying to make sure that you don't lose the person behind you. Thankfully, we found our way, but it was very, very stressful. At the end of Jesus' greatest sermon, Jesus calls us here to the flourishing life, and he says, I so want you to get there. I want this life for you. And so I'm going to give you directions for getting there. And he simplifies his directions and his map to this golden rule life. He says there, there are two gates, very simple. There are two roads and there are two destinations. Here's what to look for and how to know you're on the right path toward the flourishing life and not on the other path, which he calls a path of destruction. He says, look for the narrow gate and the hard road, not the wide gate and the easy road. The word narrow here, it means restrictive. It means small. The word hard, hard road, can mean difficult or tight and compressed. You may be wondering what that word, he says, few are those who find it. What is that? I don't think we're meant to see that as a statement of the eternal quantity or the stats of heaven. It's a statement of the countercultural way of Jesus versus what's popular and prevalent. So we, we listen to that and we say, okay, Jesus, not exactly the directions that I was hoping to hear. What we want to hear is, okay, hop on the freeway. There's a sign. You cannot miss it. You just get on the freeway. There's going to be no traffic. You just breeze on through. You exit here. There's actually no left turns on this journey. All you have to do is take one right turn right off the freeway. You can't miss it. But Jesus says, instead, to get there, there's this small sign. Maybe there's a sign. I don't know, you might not be able to see it, and there's a really sharp right-hand turn right there, and then you're headed down the road. It's not really a road, actually. It's more of a dirt path. There's rocks. Do you have four-wheel drive? You're going to need four-wheel drive to get there, and you need to... It, a lot of people actually get lost. There's not many people who find their way. 
And we go, wait, I, I thought you wanted us to get there, Jesus. Why is the road like this? Why are the directions like this? I think what Jesus is doing is, here is, is telling us two things. It's one, how to know we're going the wrong way and how to know we're going the right way. How to know we're going the wrong way. Have you ever heard somebody say this? Here's how I became a better person. Just two things. This is how I became a better person. I always do what's easiest, and then I just do what everybody else is doing. It's my secret to success. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Would you follow somebody? Would you pay money to hear that talk? Choosing the easiest and most comfortable path assumes that we don't really have that much need for change or growth. That our need for change and growth, maybe we have it, but it's very small because growth and change in our lives, it comes through what's difficult, what's challenging, what's unnatural to us, what's uncomfortable to us. I think all of us would say, yeah, that's how I've grown. That's how I've changed. And the most popular or widely accepted path If we live our lives based on what's most popular or acceptable at any given time, or based on what the majority thinks at the moment, then we're putting our one life, the only life that we have to live, the only road we get to walk, in the hands of changing tides and opinions and the beliefs of the majority at the time. And so we're very dependent on when we live and where we live. Jesus says, if that's what's forming your life, That's heading in the wrong direction. This also helps us to know that we're going the right way. We feel uncomfortable with Jesus' words here, narrow versus wide roads. Our current thinking is we want to keep that road as wide as possible. Eventually, all roads will lead to the same place. But Jesus says the narrow and restrictive road is a sign you're going the right way. How do we make sense of that? I think it means this. To be a follower of Jesus means we know we're going the right way is that we we will regularly feel restricted by Jesus. Our choices sometimes will feel confined and limited. That the boundaries are tighter than we wish they were. Sometimes they're a lot tighter than we would choose for ourselves. But what's happening is that Jesus is calling us to a narrower way than we would ever choose for ourselves, in order that he make our love wider and more expansive than we would ever choose for ourselves. The narrowing of freedom is so that there might be a widening and a deepening of love, of being people who can follow and live the golden rule. Think about Jesus himself. You read the teachings of Jesus, you say he's pretty morally restrictive. He's ethically speaking, he has some narrow boundaries. Sexual ethics, boundaries for marriage and divorce, uh, an ethic of non-retaliation. We say that's not realistic. But what other human being in history has had a more wider and inclusive love than Jesus? So the narrow, restrictive way is actually the way of widening love of the flourishing life. Think about it for our own lives. If I don't restrict my freedom and choices, can I be a loving parent? If I say, I'm just going to do what I've always done. Kids, it's not going to change my life. 
I'm going to go where I want to go and do what I want to do. Can I be a loving parent? Can I be a loving spouse if I don't restrict my freedoms and my choices? Getting married, it's not going to change my life. Be the man I've always been. Can I be a loving spouse if that's my perspective? The golden rule life, it narrows our freedoms to widen our love. That's the map that shows us where to go. And it reminds us that when we're on a tight road, a narrow road, when we struggle with Jesus tightening, we can be encouraged. You're on the right path. What I'm doing for you is for your good and for your flourishing. Last application on this point. And that is, Jesus, he, he simplifies it. He says, there's this way or that way. We say life is a lot more complex than that. But here Jesus is in the tradition of some of the most famous sermons in the Bible, like Moses in Deuteronomy, before the second generation went toward the promised land, like Joshua, before that generation crossed the Jordan River into the land of Israel. They both gave sermons. And the end of their sermon, they said, choose the way of life or the way of death. Joshua said, choose this day whom you will serve. And Jesus is doing something very similar. And he's calling us to recognize when God brings us to decisive moments in our lives. And he's calling us to choose to follow him. And so to my Christian friends, God may be calling you right now to something that feels restrictive. And I would say trust by faith that Jesus is leading you toward life, toward flourishing. He's given you the map. He's given you the directions. And for those of you who are considering Christianity, you're still not quite sure where you stand. Here is Jesus calling you, saying, trust me, to follow me is to walk the road that leads to life. And so I encourage you to think about that. Recognize those forks in the road. Lastly, the golden rule is a test for discernment. Jesus uses two pictures here in verses 15 through 20. He says, uh, there are two trees that bear two different kinds of fruit. And what he's saying is, I'm giving you a test for discernment on how to recognize voices that are authentic and true to the vision and the voice of Scripture and to the vision and, and the voice that I have and that I've given you in the Sermon on the Mount. And so if all the law and all the prophets and all the teaching can be summed up in the golden rule, it can also be used as a test for us for discerning which voices we should listen to in our lives. And now maybe more than ever, we need this discernment. We need to develop this virtue of discernment because There are just more voices than ever that we have access to in our information age. And there are more platforms for people to share their voice than ever. How do we sort it all out? Even within Christianity, we have denominations, we have doctrines, we have divisions, many divergent and opposing views on everything. Very confusing, often for us as Christians. Very confusing for those of you who are exploring Christianity and wondering, who do I listen to? Jesus helps us with that. He says, be very careful about the voices that you listen to. Use the golden rule as a test for discernment 
I think we can boil it down to looking for two things, faithfulness and fruitfulness. Faithfulness meaning, listen for voices that receive and submit to and wrestle with all of the Bible. It's comfortable parts. It's parts that are popular in our culture and the parts that just feel narrow, restrictive, and hard. Listen for people who are wrestling with all of the scriptures. Not to condemn, not to denounce, not to judge other people, but with a longing that they would be able to themselves and for others to lean into those commandments, to live and to do those all in light of the summary of Jesus' golden rule. That's faithfulness. You could think of that as as kind of a doctrinal test. Is there a submission? Is there a, a receiving of the whole Bible? And then there's fruitfulness. Jesus says these things are connected and they have to remain connected. Listen for someone whose life is characterized by love. Someone whose life you look at and say, there is some health there. There's some fruit that I can see. There's little evidences of the flourishing life as described in the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to people who treat you as you want to be treated. You cannot separate character from content. We cannot separate doctrine from life. And so there are many ways we might apply this, but one way that we can think about application here is that because we do live in the internet information age, a lot of the voices that we have access to, we don't know these people. We've never met them. We can't shake their hand. We can't observe their life. So Jesus just says, be cautious. There is incredible access to amazing teaching, teaching that can lead to fruitfulness. But Jesus says, take it with a grain of salt. Look for a community where you can have embodied relationship. And this is deeply, deeply humbling, challenging, and convicting to me as someone who has a call to teach and to speak. And so I I am just convicted, reminded again that we, it's not just me in the role of pastor, but all of us who have the calling to speak the voice of the gospel to each other in community. That character matters. And here's what's been challenging to me. We can learn a little bit about what's inconclusive fruit and what is the fruit to look for. Inconclusive fruit in people's lives would be how much knowledge they have, how successful they are, what kind of influence they have, how much they're devoted to spiritual disciplines and practices, reading the Bible, prayer, fasting, serving, the sensational and the dramatic. Jesus would say to all those things, maybe, but use caution. It's inconclusive. Here's what to look for. Look for love and joy and patience and goodness and faithfulness and kindness and gentleness and self-control. Listen to what that person has to say. So the golden rule is a summary to live by. It's a map for directions. It's a test for discernment. As I said before, there is broad agreement about the golden rule. The centrality of this 
being a great summary for us to live by. It's something we could say, wow, almost all the religions agree on this. Let's just do it. What are we waiting for? We can change the world. We can bring flourishing. All we have to do is follow the golden rule. But there is a problem. Just as much as there is widespread agreement about this, there's even more widespread failure to actually live it out. I see that in my own life. We see that in the history of humanity. The golden rule has not transformed the world. The golden rule has not brought peace to the world. The golden rule has not brought flourishing to people. Why? Why is that? I think it's because although we agree with the golden rule in our minds, in our hearts we have another rule that overrules the golden rule. We could call it the platinum rule in our hearts. That rule says, I'm going to treat others the way I think they deserve to be treated and treat them the way that they treat me. Because when we're mistreated, when we're ignored, when we're hurt, when we're marginalized, there's a real pain and a cost that we feel. And so for us to obey the golden rule, we, we have to absorb that cost. We have to absorb that pain. We have to do something with it. But instead, most of the time we say, I'm going to inflict the payment on others. I'm going to make them bear the cost for how they've treated me. I am going to treat them like they deserve. Now, what transforms us and changes us is when we are treated by the golden rule and not the platinum rule by another person. When we are treated with proactive, incarnational love, even when we are in the wrong, when we are at fault. Let me share an illustration. If I really blow it in my marriage, which I do often, and maybe, I'm, maybe it's because I'm feeling overwhelmed or anxious and something happens and I'm frustrated and I respond with sharp tones, accusatory tones. And then all of a sudden I, I, I feel it. There's a rift and it's my fault. How do I deserve to be treated? Well, the way that I've treated my wife. And that could, that could happen, and it could go into that cycle. But what would change my heart, what would transform the situation is when I'm treated the way that I would wish to be treated, even when I'm in the wrong. If instead of a harsh tone back, it's a soft and a gracious and a loving reply. If there's a gentle invitation that shows there's an understanding of my stress or whatever was going on with me, all of a sudden... My heart has changed, and the whole situation is different. When we're wronged, when we're hurt, when we're ignored, there's always that cost or that pain. And it has to be absorbed when we choose to show grace to the undeserving. When we think about our relationship with God, we ask, well, what if God treated me as I deserve, the way that I have treated him? And the gospel tells us God did not treat us the way that we deserve, but the way we would most want to be treated, with unconditional love and unlimited grace. So wrapping it up, just to share one final slide. The gospel tells us this. In order to flourish and bring flourishing to others, we must first receive 
the proactive, the incarnational, and the suffering love of Jesus. This meal that we're about to share together is a picture of that proactive, incarnational, suffering love that God has given to us in the gospel, that Jesus did not treat us the way that we deserve. Instead, he absorbed the cost. He absorbed the pain in order that we could receive the unconditional love, the unmerited grace of God, and have our hearts softened and transformed to be people who can live the golden rule. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your words. We do in our in our minds, we see what a difference it could make, what the world would look like if we all just followed the golden rule, and yet we also see how we fall short in our own lives. I pray for us this morning. I pray for us now. I pray for us as we come to this table together, that for all the many ways that we've fallen short, for all the many ways we choose the easy way, uh, for all the voices that are going on in our lives that might be leading us astray from the life of flourishing. And I pray that this time would be a time of recentering and renewing. That we would be yet again amazed and astounded that you do not treat us as we deserve. But you treat us how we would wish and dream to be treated, knowing our failures, knowing our sin, knowing our brokenness, that there is a God who can absorb that, that there is a God of abundant grace that is greater than all our sin. Renew us in that amazing truth as we come in Jesus' name. Amen.